Missions is more than just a program. Missions is more than you just giving money. Missions is more than just something that we do as a church. It's about lives. It's about lives over and over again, whether you talk about lives here in Grand Prairie, in South Dallas. It's about lives overseas. It comes as no circumstance or just lucky event that after talking about finances, we now get to talk about missions. It comes as something that God has strategically put in our lives. As we've talked about us being rich, if you saw that only, what was it, two-thirds of the world's population live on less than $2 a day, now do you see you're rich. The need's overwhelming and the need becomes something that it begins to burden us. And we say, okay, now what? So what? How can we get involved? There's just too much. And we simply look away many times. This summer we did a campaign. Do you remember the campaign? It was 27 books in 40 days. Do you remember doing that? Did you try that? Did you try listening to it? Maybe some of you took the MP3s and you listened to the 27 books of the New Testament and you did it over the course of the summer in 40 days. There's power in hearing the word of God. This is something that's very interesting. This is what is called a proclaimer. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. It flips up like this and this is a solar power little bar here. It captures the sun's energy and it harnesses and it creates battery power. You can also take and you can crank it and then you can create power this way. What happens is this. Out of the tribes and out of the people groups in the world who actually cannot read, cannot write, they do not have a written language at all. There are thousands and thousands and millions of people who are truly unreached. Meaning that they do not have a missionary, they do not have a Bible, they do not even know how to read if they had a Bible. And so one of the jobs of Wycliffe is to actually go into these villages. They live with the people, they listen to their stories and they learn the language. And after learning the language, then they begin to create an alphabet. And after creating an alphabet, then they create words. And after creating the words, they begin to learn how to put the whole thing together to actually create sentences that mean something. And then what they do is they take the Bible and they translate the Bible into this new language. The problem is still that many of those have not learned the alphabet or learned the written words. So how do they get the Bible into their hands? What faith comes by hearing does is right after Wycliffe translates, they come in and they actually read the entire Bible in the new language. They record it put it on a device like this. These are called proclaimers. They're put into the hands. It's $100 to have one of these recorders and you actually put it into the hands and the villagers will gather in groups of 20 and they'll sit around turning it and listening to the word of God. Let me show you just a pastor, one who's been saved and been trained and getting ready to pastor one of these groups for the first time, he receives the word of God to be able to take back to his village. Let me just show you this video. I, I wish I could just go down to my village and put this before them and say, oh, my brothers, sisters, please come. Come and listen to the word, the of, word God. of God. Oh, my God. I'm going to my village. I put this there and they'll come and hear the word of God in our own mother tongue. There are many people 
who've never got the opportunity to go to school. But by hearing this, their lives will be changed. Amen. Their lives are going to be changed. And we appreciate this. You see? Ah, I'm so happy. I'm so full of joy. Lord, save my people. Father, when I shall carry this to my people, Lord, let them hear the gospel and touch their hearts to be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, touch my parents. Help them, Father, to come to you and to know you that you are the only true God and that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. It's wonderful. You can read a little bit more about um, Proclaimers in this book. Um, we wrote a little article about it. Um, so we have several Wycliffe missionaries, and they have asked us. There's a group in Colombia, 350 people, who are needing the Word of God. And I thought, as a church, we might think about giving $100 or a few dollars to those Proclaimers. And so if you write um, Proclaimer on your envelope or you mark that in some way, we will make sure that that goes to make sure those 350 in Columbia. I thought that was an easy goal for maybe us as a church to get the word of God to an entire people group who do not have the word of God. Missions, it's about life. So if God pricks your heart and you wanna give to that, you're welcome to do that. You have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter five. We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. We started the year off with the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the Beatitudes and walking through it and talking about it? And we came to the realization that to actually live out the Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty radical. To live it out, it's almost too difficult. And matter of fact, it is too difficult. You cannot do it on your own. To be salt and light, to live out the Beatitudes, you cannot do this on your own. So it forces us to realize that we need the Holy Spirit and we need Jesus to actually live this out. Matthew chapter five, we're gonna come now to Jesus talking about the word of God. And here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you, how important is the word of God to you? How important? Because we're about to see how important it is to Jesus. You ready? Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter five, go down to verse 17 and we're gonna begin there. We're only looking at three verses today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we've looked now into your word. We spent just a few moments praising you. And God, I pray that it came from hearts of worship and that truly our singing was a sweet sound to you. And Father, now we're asking, we're asking that you would have the freedom to move. Would you speak into our lives? And God, would you, you move in such a way that when we walk out of this place, we will know that we have heard from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So Jesus begins, and as he continues, he's 
the question becomes, who is this teacher? Jesus is early in his ministry. It's, it's been just, a, you know, a few weeks. It's not maybe a couple months. It's only, only been a few moments since Jesus has actually arrived on the scene, done his first miracle, and actually started his presentation and actually done his teaching. And crowds are beginning together and people are beginning to wonder, who is this man? And as they're, they're all anticipating and hoping for the Messiah to come on, Many of them are hoping that this Messiah will not just get rid of the, the, the hard Roman rule and overthrow the government. They're hoping that this Messiah will come on and when he comes on, he will actually help get rid of the, the, the strongholds and the, the religious movements. And they, he, they're actually hoping that all those extra laws that the religious people put on would actually be broken. And so Jesus, as he begins to teach, he does something very very strong. He says, I'm teaching you and I'm, I'm, I'm walking you through. And these are going to be some new ways of learning, new ways of living. And here's something extremely important. Pay attention and listen, because Jesus is speaking. And what he says is, watch out guys. I've been here for 30 years now. You don't really know me. And you're thinking that I'm coming to throw away the law. And you're thinking I'm coming to throw away the prophet, but pay attention. I am not coming to get rid of, to abolish, to remove the law or the prophets, but I'm coming to do what? fulfill. Why is that important? Well, the law is the first five books of the Old Testament. The first one is really fun to read because it's Genesis and you get to hear about creation. You hear about all those wonderful things about Abraham and Joseph. You're hearing some great stories and it's just incredible. You hear about the flood, Noah, and then you keep moving in and now we get into some really weird stuff some rabbinical laws and some, some laws of, of the, the Levites. And you get into Leviticus. Ever stopped in Leviticus in your Bible reading? And you kind of go, why in the world do I need to know this? And now Jesus is coming. He says, I came, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. And then Jesus says, not only that, I'm coming to fulfill the prophets. Not just the prophets, but I came to fulfill the very words that the prophets spoke about me. So let me just walk you through for just a moment. If you would just stay with me for a moment, I want to show you Jesus and why Leviticus and why the Old Testament is so important. Because many times, here's what we want to say. We want to say this. I want to, whoops, I want to be a New Testament Christian and I just want to follow Jesus. And many times we say, well, I don't really need to study Leviticus. I don't really need to study that Old Testament because that's not for me. But here's what I want to show you. The Old Testament actually gives you a glimpse of who Jesus is and who he would be when he came to this earth and what he is doing for you now. You cannot fully understand Jesus until you understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament actually gives pictures and gives an illustration of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let me give you an example. In Leviticus, we find that there needs to be a high priest. What is a high priest? Aaron became the first high priest. The high priest was one that would intercede on behalf of the entire nation. The high priest was the one once a year who would go in and offer a sacrifice for the entire nation. And as he walked in, he would walk into an area called the Holy of Holies and he would begin to sprinkle blood and he would give prayer. And that prayer and that interceding on behalf of all the other people in the nation was given by the high priest. And in the New Testament, we are told now, 
that you and I now have a different high priest. One high priest. One high priest in Jesus who came once and for all, got rid of the sacrifice because of his sacrifice. Now we have a high priest who intercedes on our behalf and now we can boldly come into the holy of holies. That's what Jesus does for you. But you don't even understand the holies of holies until you understand the Old Testament. Keep moving forward. And you look at the Old Testament, you begin to look at the Levitical laws and you begin to watch how that even in the temple, the temple only had what? The tabernacle, only one door, one door, one entrance, one way in, one way out, only one way to come into God. And Jesus comes on the scenes and what does he say? I want you to know that I am the door. Jesus now says, I'm the only way. If you wanna come to God, it's only through me because there's no other name given under heaven whereby you and I can be saved except at the name of who? Jesus. You move forward and you see all the, the, the pictures of the, the basin of the water. And it gives a demonstration of how that with Jesus's blood, now we are washed and made white as snow as we just read. I love just going back through the Old Testament and continue, you see the candle the candlestick in the midst of the tabernacle, in the midst of the temple. And John comes and reveals in John chapter one, he says, this Jesus, this Jesus is the light of the world. You don't understand that John, what is John is saying until you understand it was the candlestick that was giving the light of who and what God is and his presence. And if you don't understand the tabernacle and if you don't understand the temple and what is going on, if you don't understand what the peace offering was and the, the burnt offering and how that the burnt offering was a flesh that was actually burning to represent Jesus and his flesh being torn for you, you are missing an incredible glimpse of what Jesus has done for you. Follow me. Because it's the Old Testament that gives you a picture of what Jesus is and what he has done for you. He fulfills the law. He not only fulfills the, the ceremonial laws, he fulfills the moral law. You remember in the Old Testament, we find a moral law and a moral, moral compass. It was called the 10 Commandments. You ever heard of that? Many of us know about it, we've heard of it. And in the 10 Commandments, what it does is it shows us you can't even live up to the 10 Commandments, 10 basic things, without failing and falling. And Paul tells us that it was Jesus. Jesus who came in Galatians, and he says, and Jesus was born under the law so that you and I might be redeemed through the law by what Jesus does on the cross. Romans eight, chapter, uh, Romans eight and verse four, it says that it was by his righteousness of living under the law that you and I actually find redemption. Isn't that amazing? What happens is this, Jesus comes and he says, don't forget the Old Testament. Don't forget what I've done in the law because what I have done in the law is I've actually lived it perfectly because you can't do it on your own. I came to fulfill it. What about the prophets? What about the prophets? From Genesis three, we see the earliest prediction that Satan would actually be crushed. He would bruise the heel of the savior, but it would be the savior in the end at the cross while he was beaten, yes, bruised, Yes, but on the cross, he crushes both Satan, death, and hell. That's an amazing prophecy. All the way back, you keep moving through Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. 
You have a promise of Abraham to Abraham that Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through your seed and through your offspring, your whole, the whole world will be actually blessed. You will become a nation that's blessed. But Abraham, something more specific is going to happen. Your seed will actually provide salvation. Go into David. There's a covenant made with David in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And David, God comes to David and says, David, I'm going to give you a covenant. And I'm going to give you a promise that someone from your seed, from your loins, somebody from you will actually rule and reign on a throne forever. Is that happening now? It's Jesus Christ. It was him, his seed. He came through. You keep moving forward and you even find, many of us don't even think about David as a prophet, do we? We think of, of you know, one of these lovers. We think of him as a songwriter. We think of him as a warrior, but we don't think of him as a prophet. Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, David actually gives a prophetic word of what Jesus is going to say on the cross. Jesus said seven things on the cross and one of those is recorded in Psalm 22. My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? You move into Psalm chapter 16. And in Psalm chapter 16, what you find is this. David actually gives a prophecy that the Messiah would actually not see have his body see corruption. Isn't that amazing? You move into Isaiah and those prophecies that we love to, to talk about. The minor prophets and major prophets. And in Isaiah, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, upon whom the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, what? We are healed. I can keep going over and over and over and over again for you. It was the Old Testament that gave us pictures and gave us glimpse of what Jesus would do for us. And here's what Paul tells us, that the law was actually a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus. Now, I've been out of elementary school for quite a while. Praise God. It didn't have to repeat too many grades. You know, you just kind of get through it and you're just praising God that you got through it. Now, nobody told me that when I had kids, I was going to have to repeat it all. So I'm now learning again, elementary, all the different learning how to write letters. And it's second grade, you know, my second time, third time, fourth time around right now. And I'm, we're going through all these new things. It's interesting. I sit there going, there's no, I did not know this. Jamie, did you know this? And she looks at me going, you're kidding, right? Brand new information. I just missed it in elementary school. I wasn't the smartest guy. And so, so it's just, it's, 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 I need to be tutored even by Jamie. I don't know how to do that one, Jamie. She's like, you're kidding. No, show me what I'm supposed to do so I can help that. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I don't even watch that show anymore because I'm not. Just can't even get there. Just can't go there. So, I need a schoolmaster. I need somebody who knows it to bring me along. And what the law does for you and I, what the Old Testament does is it brings us along so that you and I can gain a glimpse of who Jesus is. Can I, I want to make sure I help you and I want you to see this very clearly. This book was not written 
as a how-to manual to live your life. And in the Bible Belt, many times that is how it's presented over and over again. Just here's how you live your life and we get good things. Maybe even it happens in Sunday school or home groups. This book has one design and that design is to reveal Jesus. To reveal who God is. And as we come in contact with who God is, it begins to radically transform our lives. And that's what this book is for. And Jesus says, I'm not coming to get rid of the Old Testament. I want you to understand that everything that I'm doing is going to be brought to pass. And I'm going to demonstrate what the Old Testament was really saying. You see, for you and I to come back to Matthew, here's why we need to spend some time in Matthew. It was written to a religious people. A people who understand the laws and understood some basic things, but they didn't quite grasp. And they had gone to church for so long that they missed Jesus in going to church. And what Jesus is trying to do now is he's saying, you, you've got some good things. It's great, but pay attention because I'm about to reveal myself in a bigger way. And that's what we need now. So Jesus continues, you ready? Here's what he says. Look in the next, next verse. Verse 18, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In the Jewish tradition, if you were going to say something and, and make sure that everybody knows that it's true and accurate, you needed two witnesses. You needed two witnesses to verify the account. So here's what Jesus does in his teaching. He says, I'm gonna call two witnesses that you cannot ever argue with. And these two witnesses have gone on way before you were born. And they're gonna continue way after your heaven and earth are my witness right now. My witness right now, it's heaven and earth. And they're gonna give witness to what I'm saying that this book, not even the smallest thing will be erased out of it because God is keeping it permanent in heaven. God is keeping it. Now see that iota is actually just the, the smallest Greek letter. It kind of looks like an I. It's just a, a little line with a little hook and then it's kind of got a dot. And that's the smallest Greek letter. The tittle is one of those funny words that you're trying to figure out what it looks like. If you have um, in some of your Bibles in Psalms chapter uh, 119, you can find right before verse 41, there's, there's a Hebrew letter. And in, in the next section, in verse 49, there's another Hebrew letter. And you'll see a difference. One looks like a, a, a line and straight down. And the other one almost looks identical, but there's a little letter difference. It's just a little line. It's the smallest little mark. It's no bigger than a, an apostrophe. It's extremely small. And Jesus says this, not even the smallest part of the book will be wiped away. Isn't that amazing? That it, it's so permanent. It's so permanent that you can't get away from it. And here's what it tells us. And here's what it shows us that for you and I to understand that it was not written by, it was not written by humans. It was written and God breathed and God inspired. It was from God. You see, he did use 40 men over a period of time of 1,500 years. And in that moment and in those times, what he did, he took people from all different geographic locations, lawyers, doctors, physicians, tax collectors, peasants, and kings. And they all wrote this book. 
And what's amazing is, as you have these people over 1,500 years in different locations, not even knowing about each other, there's not a contradiction. How does that happen? I can't even get a group of people in one room to not contradict each other. How does that happen? It's the God breathing of scripture. This book is important. So here's where it comes back to your life and my life. If it's really from God, which we can agree, right? It's from God. Then how important is it to you to actually be in it? How much time have you spent in it? Is it something that you get so excited about that you start hugging and gripping and you can't wait to get into the word of God and share it? Or is this something that we just kind of say, yeah, there it is. And it sits on our coffee tables. It sits next to our chair and we haven't looked at it from one Sunday to the next. Because if it's really that important, don't you think we need to get into it? Don't you think we actually need to spend some time there? And not just trying to say, oh yeah, I've read the Bible, but to read it so that you see Jesus. It's a completely different attitude. You're not reading it just to get knowledge. You're reading it to see Jesus. Dear Jesus, as I read this book this morning, I'm asking you to show up in my life. I'm asking you to speak. I want to see more of you. Would you just allow your glory to come down on me right now as I'm in your word? That's not really how we approach it, is it? And most of us, most of us can't even say that we've read it through once. Why is it so important? Because when you get into the word of God, watch this. When you get into the word of God, your faith begins to grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. You want your faith to come alive. You want your faith to begin to burn with passion. You've got to get back to the word of God and you've got to start spending time so that you see what happens. And here's what's going to happen. When you begin to get into the word of God, your faith begins to grow. You ready? Now your heart will begin to beat on mission with God and it will begin to break for the world. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You wanna know why maybe your heart's not beating passionately when you see a missions video and you're not asking God, can I do more? It's because your heart hasn't fully caught a glimpse of Jesus because it should move you when you see the needs of people. It should move you when you see the needs of those that you work with. It should move you. It should become a burden upon you. And you want to see that happen? Dive into the word of God and your faith will begin to expand like never before. Move on. Let me show you one last thing and then we'll be done. You ready? Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a tension in the, in the New Testament, especially with the, the, the religious leaders. Oh, what is the greatest commandment? What's the least commandment? Do you remember them asking Jesus this question? And Jesus says, the first and the greatest commandment is to love God and then you are to love people. That's the greatest commandment. So now there's this tension. Okay, which of the commandments should we actually obey and which one should we not obey? And Jesus steps in. He says, wait a minute. I want to show you that even the thing that you think is the least in the word of God 
If you choose to ignore it and you choose to teach it to others to ignore it, then you're guilty of a grave sin and you will actually be called the least in the kingdom. On the contrary, if you actually say, I'm gonna teach all of it and I'm going to live it all, then you'll be called the greatest. Here's our tension, you ready? Here's what we like. You and I like to take Jesus, who is the kind, lovable, miracle-working Jesus. But we can't stand the Jesus who turns tables over. We like the God who loves us, but we don't like the God who actually has wrath. We like the God who provides a really comfy, cozy, you know, utopia heaven, but we don't like the God who actually has a hell. Are you following me? And so what you and I tend to do is this. As we read the New Testament, as we read the Old Testament, we read the parts that we like and we say, I like this part, but I don't like this part. And so I'm gonna just stay with Jesus, who's a great teacher, but I don't even know if he could really perform the miracles. And so we don't even take that. And so we pick and choose what we teach, what we live and what we do. Matter of fact, there's even a tension of coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. Why would we come back to the Sermon on the Mount? There are even believers who say that the Sermon on the Mount is not for us and we shouldn't listen to it. That we shouldn't even study it. In the early 1900s, did you know that the Sermon on the Mount was the mantra for social, the social gospel? They would use the, social, the, the Sermon on the Mount and they would say, in order for us to get out and love our communities, we just need to get out and they use the Sermon on the Mount as a way in which we need to go out and minister to people. Now, I'm all for ministering to people all for having a radical change in the way we live. But I'm also for making sure that they understand it's about Jesus. And that's why we do what we do. So there's a group of people who push back and say, we really shouldn't come back to the Sermon on the Mount. There's another group of people say, you know, teaching the Sermon on the Mount is really not good for pastors to do because it's just gonna really, it's gonna make people uneasy and it's just too hard. And so they're gonna become uncomfortable. So if you teach the Sermon on the Mount, then people are gonna just, they're just not gonna wanna come because it's just too hard, you can't do it. And that's the point, that's true, because you can't do this on your own. And that's, I'm glad you come to that point, but the reality is that you need Jesus. And then there's another group. And if you have a Schofield Bible, I love the Schofield Bible. It was something that I grew up on. It was my first study Bibles and I studied religiously that Bible as I was growing up. But in the very first few editions of the, the um Schofield Bible, even some strong dispensationalists today will say this, that this was written for the kingdom age and that this is not actually written for the church today. And so even the Schofield Bible in its first editions would said, this was really not for you to practice. Schofield has now come back and revisited that and they no longer have that statement in there. So praise God. So if you still use a, King, a Schofield, you're okay. They're good. But the problem is, is they ignore all the current verbs of what you're supposed to be doing right now. And the only way we get around this and the only way we come back to is understand that you and I are to teach and to live the entire book. This book is for us. This book is about Jesus and it is for us to come back, to understand, to see more of who Jesus is. 
If you come to the point of seeing that you cannot do this Christian life on your own, then praise God because you can't. That is the very essence of what Jesus is teaching. And next week, as we get into religious laws and how you, he's gonna, he's gonna so shatter religion. Here's what I want you to catch. I'm ready for your heart to begin to beat with a mission and a passion that is from God Almighty. And I'm ready for you to become so passionate that you're willing to do anything it takes to actually know the word of God and to live it out. I'm ready for our people to rise up and to say, it is time for us to go back to the word and quit thinking we need to live apart from the word. You see, you cannot, catch this, you cannot know Jesus except by the word of God. You cannot know Jesus. Well, I, I just want to spend all my time in prayer. Good, but how do you even know you're praying correctly unless you know the word of God? Well, I just want to, you know, I just want to sit around and sing all the time. Great, but how do you know what you're singing is actually lining up with the word of God? You don't even know if it pleases because you have to worship in spirit and in truth. And you have to come back to this over and over again. All revivals, all movements of God start when there's a people of God who are saying, we are ready for a spirit of God to move upon us. And they go back to the word of God and they begin to live it out. Acts chapter two, over and over again, what do you find? You find a people who are hungry and so they eat all the time in each other's homes. They eat all the, each other's food, but they gather. And when they gather and they break bread, what do they start doing? They pray and they give themselves daily to the teaching of the word of God. So here's what I'm asking. In order for us as a people, as a church, to begin to be passionate about what God is doing over and over again in the world, we need to become a people who is passionate about knowing the Jesus of the word because he is the very living word of God. So here's my challenge. I'm challenging you to get into the word of God like you've never done. If it's five minutes, praise God. If it's 10 minutes, praise God. 20 minutes, set a time daily to get into the word of God. And here's what I'm gonna challenge you as teachers, as home group leaders, small group leaders, would you create accountability for each other where you begin to ask, how are you doing? Are you in the word? Why are you not in the word? Push each other, spur each other on because it's not until we get into the word of God that our faith will become alive. And it's time. Church, it's time to go back to the word and to become passionate about the Jesus that we'll find there. Start reading it, get involved. And here's one last warning that I want to give. You ready? The warning that comes out here that we have to talk about. If you are a teacher, if you're teaching in a home group or a small group or a Sunday school class, you are held to a high accountability. Not by me, but by the God of the universe to actually what you teach and what you proclaim. And if you are not teaching accurately, you are actually in danger of yourself, according to what Jesus is speaking, not me. You're in danger of actually having lower rank in the kingdom. How does Jesus do the rank? I don't know. Not really for sure. But it comes down to how faithful you're being and how well you're actually living out. Teachers, the highest priority is not teaching. It's actually in the doing 
because you cannot teach what you have not done and what you're not living out. And if you are a person here today, this is your first time, or maybe you're looking for a church, can I challenge you? Here's what you need to find more than anything else. You need to find a church, one who's solid biblically in the pulpit, but two, you need to find a group of people in the church who are actively pursuing, understanding, and knowing the Word of God. If you cannot find both, then you are in the wrong church. And that even goes for a warning for our church. We're not being the church we're called to be if we're not all being accurate is what we find and what we teach and then what we do.